As we begin moving into the holiday season, it's a simple question. What are you grateful for? We're looking at grateful hearts. Here today on Graceful Truth, we invite you to spend time with us. Throughout the month of November, we'll spend our time looking at grateful hearts. Thanksgiving, what it really means. Join us. What it is we are truly thankful for. That is what we're focused on here today as we begin a series called Grateful Hearts. We invite you to spend time with us today. Welcome. This is Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church right here in Redwood City. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Converse, will remind us today of the gratefulness that we should be living out on a daily basis the thankfulness that we should have towards God because of his grace and mercy towards us. Here's Pastor Steve, today's broadcast. But tonight we turn our hearts to God's word and we're going to be looking at a key to a, a grateful or a, or a thankful heart. And, you know, we come to this time of year, we're coming up on a holiday, Thanksgiving, and there's a lot of things that I'm sure all of us could really be thankful for. Uh, we live in a in a country where we have the freedom to come out, at least so far, and uh, express our faith and gather together. We have the beautiful creation that God has supplied for us all around us. And I, I often wonder, sometimes when I'm out and about, at you know, down looking at something beautiful out on a on a, a Golden Gate Bridge or something, and you hear people next to you talking about, oh, isn't this so beautiful? Or when you're up in the mountains and they look at the mountains or, you know, the, the night sky and they say, isn't this so beautiful? And I thought, wow, that's, that's, they're giving thanks. They're giving praise <laughs> for something they're seeing, right? They're experiencing what we know to be God's creation. And yet they don't know the creator. <laughs> and it, it's so sad. You know, that must be kind of a, an empty feeling. And it's Thanksgiving comes around once a year and it's everybody's, boy, you eat turkey, you do all this stuff. But do people really understand who they're to give thanks to? And I would probably venture to say that most people don't. Uh, they may in a general sense, but they don't know God in a personal way. And so tonight I want to ask the question, you know, of you who are sitting here, would you... If you had the opportunity, would you like to develop a, a grateful, thankful, worshiping heart as a believer? Was that something you'd say, yeah, sign me up, right? I mean, yeah, if you could just go through a class, and by the time the class was over, you would have a, a grateful, uh, thankful, worshipful heart. Most of us would say, yes, we want that as believers. Uh, we recognize that it's, it's the right thing to be thankful to God for all of his blessings that he's poured out on our lives. It's even, I would say, even Ameri American to be that way because we, we do have a holiday called Thanksgiving. And it's just once a year, but you know what? We, we note that it is about giving thanks. Unfortunate thing is many people would ask the question, well, to whom are we to give thanks? Because they don't know God. But as Christians, we understand that it is our, 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 our privilege, our right, really, to, to thank God for everything. That's what the New Testament tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul writes, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
He doesn't say all circumstances are good. All circumstances are blessed. He doesn't say that. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And so before we jump on the Thanksgiving bandwagon, I really want us to realize that genuine, genuine Thanksgiving thankfulness is very much linked. It's bound up with the word trust. Thanksgiving and trust, you need to understand, go together. Because we'll never truly thank God until we first understand what it means to trust him. Uh, We'll never really be grateful to God for all that we have, for all the many blessings that he showered down upon us. We'll never truly be grateful to God until we first recognize that we are utterly dependent on him for everything that we have. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always in that place. (laughs) I'm not always in that place of recognizing that I'm utterly dependent on God for everything that we have. But biblically, we are. And, and the reason we're not always that way is because our, our human nature, we're not trusting creatures. Just humanly speaking, naturally, we, we don't just naturally trust God. We're, we're creatures of necessity. We trust God when we have to trust God, if we're honest with ourselves. We trust God when we're forced to trust God. Why? Because our problems get so big, they get beyond our own ability to deal with them. And it's then that we cry out to God, right? We fall to our knees and go, wow. You know, we get that test result from the doctor and we're thinking, oh man, here we go. What do we do? We, we take it to God because we know it's out of our hands. But the rest of the time, usually the rest of the time, we get along just fine by ourselves. We get along just fine by ourselves. If we can solve the problem by ourselves, we don't resort to prayer. We don't resort to saying, wow, I just need to trust God through this. Why? Because we don't need to trust him in that situation. We should, but we feel that we don't need to. But it's only when we come to the end of ourselves, you might say, uh, when we cast ourselves... In, in total dependence upon the Lord, that we really begin, that's when we begin to experience what I would call is, is genuine praise, genuine thanksgiving. When we are the, at the end of ourselves and we cry out to God and he answers our prayer and we go, wow, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Um, and the book of Psalms, it's, it's been called Israel's hymn book. And we're just going to be looking at Psalm 33 tonight. But it's, it's called that because so many of the Psalms are, they're, they're, they're almost nationalistic. They're, they're individually uh, kind of pointed to Israel. Uh, they're written from the perspective of Israel's own experience as a nation. Or they express sometimes personal defeats that the people of Israel have gone through. Or the victories that they've gone through. Or maybe some of the longings that some of the individual Jewish writers, such as David, had in their heart. And the Psalms are expressive of all that. And Psalm 33 that we turn to tonight follows a little bit different pattern. It kind of breaks out of the mold of the rest of the Psalms. And what it does is it looks to all nations. 
It's not so much focused on Israel. It's, it's focusing on all nations and all generations. And it calls on all people everywhere to give thanks and to praise God for his universal blessings. So we're going to read through Psalm 33, and then we'll go through our outline together. So you can follow along in your Bibles. It's a psalm of praise for everyone. He, he writes there, the psalmist, in Psalm 33, verse 1, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make, make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like your typical church service, does it? (laughs) I think we need to be a little more exuberant in our worship, even in our church sometimes. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of steadfast love of the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a, as a heap, and he puts the, the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth, it's a universal appear, let all the earth fear, fear the Lord. All the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as a heritage. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on him, on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive even in a famine. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our hope and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. It's a wonderful psalm. It's very encouraging. And Psalm 33 says right there in verse 1, it's written to who? It's, a, it's addressed to those who are the, the righteous ones. He says, oh, you righteous. It befits the upright. He uses those words. Those who sing praises to him. Uh, really, this, this, this psalm is, is written to those who know God personally. I pray that's you tonight. I pray that you know the Lord in a personal way. You've trusted him as your Lord and Savior. You've come to Christ. If not, it's never too late. You just cry out to God and acknowledge your sin. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to turn from my sin and turn to you, and God will save you. But this is written to those who know him personally and to those who are seeking to please him by living lives of obedience. But even 
if you know him, even if you're living in obedience to him, it seems that he still has to exhort us, in verse 1, to sing for joy in the Lord. We still have to be told to do that. You know, it's like we still have to be told as Christians we should be thankful, we should be praising God more than what we do. You know, we just kind of get in that, hey, we're saved and it's all taken care of, and we forget. We have a tendency to forget these things. And so the psalm tells us the key to a grateful, a thankful, worshiping heart is to rely 100% completely on the Lord. And so, you know, we don't know who wrote this psalm. It's sandwiched between two psalms of David. So there's a lot of speculation. Did he write it? It's, it's a different grammatical structure than the psalm before it. And it's different <clears throat> than the one after it. But David could have wrote it. We, he just didn't put his name there. So it's sandwiched between those two, but we don't know who, who wrote it. He, he, we know that David certainly learned the lesson that this psalm communicates to us. Uh, David was a man of praise. We know that by reading his other psalms. He was a man of thanksgiving. Why? Because the Lord put him in so many different situations in life where everything that he was relying on was knocked out from under him. Every prop that was holding him up, the Lord just kind of swooped down and knocked it out. And there was David forcing, being almost forced to trust in God alone for his deliverance many times in his life. When God did deliver him, what happened? He was, he was flooded with thanksgiving. He was flooded with praise. Why? Because he realized he was undone. He was at the end of his rope. There was no way out. And yet God stepped in. The psalm begins with this exuberant call to praise God in song with the musical instruments. You can see the, the outline there I put down. Um, and then he gives the reason to praise. Why, why should we praise in verses 4 and 5? And he gives two, because of his work and because of his word. And then in verses 6 to 12, he kind of develops a theme of, of God's word as it's seen, first of all, in creation. And then he talks about it being seen in his counsel in verses 10 to 12. And then in verses 13 to 22, he develops the other theme of how this God works. How does he work? How does he carry out his agenda in the lives of his cre those who he's created? And he tells us in verses 13 to 17, he does not work through man's strength. He does not work through man's schemes, very clearly. But rather, he works through those who are willing to fear and to trust in him. Verses 18 to 19. And then it ends with a final affirmation of trust in the Lord, verses 20 to 22. So we're going to go through this kind of quick, but hopefully it will be thoughtful and it, it, you can apply it to your lives. So if the key to a thankful, grateful heart, a worshiping heart, is to rely completely on the Lord, if that's what we want to establish, then the question arises, how do I learn to completely rely on the Lord? Because I don't think any of us do, if we're honest. We don't do it 100% of the time. So how do we develop this? And there's two main sections here in the psalm. And the first one is verses, we're going to jump down to verse 6. We're going to kind of do this in reverse. We're going to go verse 6 to 12, 13 to the end. And then we're going to jump back to verses 1 to 5 and wrap things up. But in verses 6 to 12, we understand that we learn to rely completely on the Lord by recognizing what? The power of his word. We recognize the power of his word. Uh, sometimes I think we forget 
that God's word is powerful. That if we tap into God's word, if we're diligent to read his word, if we're diligent to study his word on a daily basis, that will give us power in our Christian lives. That will help us get through the day, the week, the month. But so many times, what do we do? We, we relegate it to a, you know, uh, you know, I got five minutes in the morning. Uh, just read this little quick little devotion. Check, did it. But are we really spending time in God's word? Are we really kind of thinking about it? Are we, uh, are, we, are we praying over it? Are we asking God to speak afresh the words of the page to our hearts? Or are we just doing it so we can say, yeah, I did devotion today. <laughs> you know, that's off my conscience. <laughs> how, do we, how do we rely completely on the Lord by recognizing the power of his word? Well, the psalmist here is referring, I believe, primarily to God's spoken word because that's what he did before the written word was complete. He would literally speak to them. Today we have the written word of God. Uh, so he, he speaks to our hearts through his word. Um, but it applies no less also to his written word. Well, in verses 6 to 9, I see here the power of God's word is seen in creation. In verses 6 to 9. When we read that, you can sense that. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. I mean, do you ever go out on a dark night and look up into the sky? I mean, it's amazing on a clear night. If you're in the right place, right part of the country, I mean, you can, it's just unreal. And then you see those occasional shooting stars. I mean, you know, it sends shivers down your neck. It's, it's just that amazing. And it says that he just, you know, he just created it. John Calvin said this. He, he pointed out that the psalmist brings before us the creation of the world. That's what he's doing here. Because until, he says, we believe that he created all that is, we won't believe that the world is controlled by his wisdom and power. In other words, it takes that step of faith to say, yeah, God created everything around us. In other words, what he's saying, what Calvin was saying was, believing that God created the world also leads us to the truth of his providence, his sovereignty in ruling the world, which the psalmist develops in verses 10 to 12. You know, if you start off with not believing that God created the world, I don't think, you know, it's going to be a very big jump for you to think that God is sovereign over the world, that he didn't have the power to create, right? It just doesn't add up. And so this relates directly to our believing that he controls the circumstances in our own personal lives. Um, he's working together everything. Romans tells us, right, in, in Romans 8, 28, he's working together everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. He's working it together for what? For good. According to what? His purpose, his plan, right. For those who are in Christ Jesus. So he is doing this because he is the all-powerful creator and he can do it. So to develop a, a grateful, worshiping heart, you have to be willing to bow in awe before the Lord as you realize just how much power he has. That his immense power basically spoke the universe into existence. I mean, when you think of the universe, I mean, if you do some study on this, just <laughs> go talk to some astronomers. Um, it's immense. Some astronomers say they're discovering vast regions of space, vast regions of space that are completely empty. 
One such space is a billion light years across. Now, don't ask me how they measure. I don't know. You talk to a, you know, astronomer about that. But this is supposed to be true. A billion light years across. That's how big it is. And it's just, it's just vast. It's empty. There's nothing in it. That's 10,000 times greater than the distance across our Milky Way galaxy. Everything that we know around us as far as stars. And there are, are billions of huge galaxies like our Milky Way galaxy. And so when David said in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, when I consider your heavens, Lord, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, he says, what is man? Who am I that you would take thought of me? And the son of man that you care for him. Because God is so immensely more above our pay grade. He's so much more powerful than we are. It's hard to believe that he would even care for us in any way. And when you stop and you think when God created the world, he didn't struggle, he didn't strain. There wasn't a bead of sweat on his brow. Rather, he just did it by his bare word. By the word it says in verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke and it was done. That's what Genesis 1 records for us eight times. God said in Genesis 1, let there be, and guess what? And there was. It just happened. Amazing power. And our psalmist puts it in verse 9, he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. It's complete. Nothing to add. Nothing to take away. I mean, creation is a result of God's miraculous power. The Bible says that God created everything, everything around us out of nothing by a simple word. And you know what? As with all the miracles in the Bible, <laughs> the thing that makes a miracle a miracle is that it takes faith to believe in the miracle. You can't really prove a miracle. You must accept it by faith. You know, when, when someone's sick and they go to the doctor and they say, yeah, you know what, you got, <laughs> sorry, you have terminal cancer. Okay. And they go and they ask people for prayer and they go back to the doctor and the doctor says, I don't understand this, but you know what, that, it's not there anymore. Let's take another extra. There's got to be something wrong here with the machine, right? I mean, they have a hard time believing what well, this just happened. This was just a miracle. God answered someone's prayer. You, what, what do you have to do? You have to take a miracle and you have to accept it by faith. And that's what Hebrews tells us in verse 3. Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, it says, we understand that the universe was created. Why does it take faith? Now, I know some of you are older than me. But I don't think any of you were old enough to be back when God said, and let there be, and you had your little iPhone out, and you took a video of it and said, yes, see, here it is, right here on living color. No. So it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created. How? Hebrews 11.3, by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He made it out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Graceful Truth is the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City.